You ready? We are raising up radical, passionate, aggressive lovers of God and people from the next generation who will love deeply, serve sacrificially, speak truthfully, live holy, and go globally in the supernatural power and presence of the Holy Spirit, calling all people to confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Amen. That is who we are. And listen, when God makes a decree like that over his congregation, over a community of people, he is calling forth the identity of that community. God right now is calling our church to have a reputation for loving deeply serving sacrificially, speaking truthfully, living holy, and going globally. When people out there think about this church, they should think stuff like, wow, those people really know how to love God and people deeply. Those people really know how to serve sacrificially. Those people really Take serious living holy and set apart for the Lord. These are things God wants you and I famous for. John 13 and verse 34, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We should be a church who is famous for love, famous for service, famous for truth, famous for missions, and we should be famous for holiness. But unfortunately, when it comes to living holy, we have quite the opposite reputation. We're actually a little famous, true or not, for being soft on sin. We're a little famous for abusing grace. Now, I in no way believe that it is as bad as our worst critics say it is. But I'm also keenly aware that reputations don't appear out of nothing. In fact, some of these criticisms have come from people who have been in our own church. They've come from people in our own congregation over the years. But listen, I also know that God is famous for changing reputations. He takes liars and cheats and he makes them famous truth tellers. He takes murderers and he makes them famous for healing. He takes selfish orphans and he makes them famous for being sons and daughters of the Most High God. And he can take fornicators, adulterers, porn addicts, prostitutes, and homosexuals and make them famous for being faithful, holy, and set apart unto the Lord. Our bad reputation does not have to be a life sentence. It can actually be just a testimony waiting to happen. And let me say this, as we move into this topic of living holy, I want to say that I do this with an acute awareness of my own failures when it comes to living holy. You know, many years ago, I had received another prophetic word from Dennis Kramer. My wife and I had actually received it. And in it, the Lord said this, 
He says, I am going to give you the 13 to 19 year olds. There are going to be so many of them you won't know what to do. I want you to manage them. I want you to rise up and organize them, inspire them. I want you to get in their face. I am going to give you both a get in your face kind of gift. So don't blame me. Blame Jesus. But listen to this. This is what he said. The Lord says, I want you to restore holiness to the younger generation. I want you to break the power of sin and death over this younger generation. Now, I have to admit that I have resisted this word. And again, it comes from being so aware of my own failures in living holy. I didn't have the courage. I felt as though it would be so hypocritical of me trying to declare holiness when I'm so aware of my own failures. And to be honest, I really lacked faith that young people even want to hear a message about holiness and being set apart. Just being honest and transparent. But I'm repenting for those things. And I'm still very aware of my lack of holiness. But I am prepared to speak about living holy, not because I've mastered it. I am simply willing to obey the Lord and be a mouthpiece for this subject as one who is still in the journey just like the rest of you. And what I am doing is I am fixing my eyes on the perfect one, Jesus Christ. And it is from his example that we truly can acquire the faith and the courage necessary to go after living holy. Jesus is the beauty of holiness. Jesus had perfect joy because he lived his life without a divided heart. Jesus never lived a double life of sometimes kingdom, sometimes the gutter. Listen, church, we have no idea how our lack of joy is the result of living with a divided heart. We have no idea how our lack of joy is the result of living with a divided heart. See, here's, here, let me explain it. When we live in conflict, when we live in disagreement with the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us, our emotions get all jacked up. Paul shares his emotional conflict. Romans chapter 7 and verse 21. He says, I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And here's the emotional part. Wretched man that I am. Who is going to deliver me from this stinking body of death? Tom Preble version. He's emotional. That's why they put an exclamation point in the Hebrew. Why? Because the struggle is real. The conflict is real. The struggle exists. But listen, just like Mike shared... We can conquer sin. We can. We don't have to live with a divided heart that's constantly battling between, am I going to please the Spirit or am I going to please my flesh? We can win the fight and use our lives to sow into the Spirit of God who lives inside of us. And as I get into this message, I'm going to repeat some things Mike has already covered. 
And I'm going to repeat them because some things are so important that they need to be said over and over and over and over until the information actually gets into revelation. Because it is only out of revelation that we can actually experience transformation. Now, here's another thing that I'm going to do. And I know we love to be happy all the time. Happy, 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 happy. But listen, I've got to diagnose this problem. I've really got to talk about what's going wrong. Because there's some real serious attitudes and, and mindsets and beliefs that we carry. We've got to destroy those things. There's some real issues in getting in the way of why you and I don't live holy. <clears throat> I'm going to talk about many of the wrong ideas, the wrong thoughts, attitudes. And I need to do this because sometimes <clears throat> in the process of describing what something is, you have to describe what it is not. And I believe that in the uncovering of the wrong, we will also start to discover what is the right. So, on the path of us living holy, there are some stumbling stones or roadblocks. And I need to remove one that I believe gets in the way of our ability to hear, even hear the message about living holy. And it is the stumbling stone of lawlessness. Now, the version of lawlessness that I'm going to talk about is, it's not the standard kind used to refer to people who, before they knew Jesus, you know, lived committing lawless acts, you know, breaking the law of Moses. The lawlessness that I... I'm going to talk about, I'm going to describe, is a lawlessness that is performed by Christians who think they are living out their freedom. So I want to define the difference between freedom and lawlessness in the church. Now, in charismatic churches like ours, in charismatic circles, you know, Um, there always seems to be a small group of people who help facilitate this special brand of lawlessness. You'll know exactly who they are as soon as I tell you. (laughs) Begin to pray for the person next to you right now. (laughs) These very special people are self-deputized self-appointed religious spirit police. (laughs) And what they've done is they've taken it upon themselves to call anything and everything that they believe to be legalistic a religious spirit. Sometimes it's legit. Sometimes it's not. A couple ways that we can kind of identify some of these well-meaning freedom fighters. <coughs> and, and you've heard Mike say some of these, but th- they'll say things like, you know, I have to follow God and not man. Um, another favorite phrase is, don't tell me I can't do something. That's legalistic. A lot of times they have a problem planting themselves in a local church community because they can't be bound or accountable to anyone. Um, And many times the freedom that they are living is often a very selfish, self-indulgent freedom. They seem to have a lot of revelation, but none of it can be questioned or challenged. 
And, and anytime some kind of qualification or requirement to do something is brought out, they just scream legalism, religious spirit. <clears throat> well, what's happened is these people have twisted the freedom that's actually spoken of in the Bible and they've turned it into a version of lawlessness. And the effect of this perversion of freedom is that topics like holiness immediately evoke feelings of legalism and a religious spirit. You know, we hardly ever talk about holiness. That's part of the reason. Because you know, well, people will get all offended maybe if we get too much about living separate and don't doing things that look like the world. And you know, I, again, I understand the knee-jerk reaction. There are lots of churches and church people who have turned holiness into a very harsh and sometimes impossible set of rules and standards to live by. So I get it. But while I understand the sincerity of their hearts, um, the application is very selfish and immature. So I want to define these terms, legalism and religious spirit, just so we kind of have a, a grid here. First thing to note is that neither of these words are actually in the Bible. You will not be able to pick up a concordance and look up legalism. You cannot find a religious spirit in there. What those two words represent is they represent a set of ideas and attitudes. Just like the word rapture is not in the Bible. You cannot open a concordance and say, where's the rapture? I can't find the rapture chest, you know, because it doesn't exist. Rapture is a word that we have used to describe the events and circumstances related to all the verses in the Bible that speak about the church being caught up in the air when Jesus returns. We take all that stuff, collage of those ideas, and we go, rapture. So again, the word legalism is not in the Bible, but we do need to have a definition. So here's a couple that I really... I really feel are, are pretty accurate. One is this. Having a strict outward conformity to moral and religious practices and an expectation that others have the same. Having a strict outward conformity to moral and religious practices and an expectation that others have the same. <clears throat> Now, some other words you may hear used to describe legalism are words like moralism, Phariseeism, uh, religiosity. Um, another definition that I think really hits it on the head is this. The belief that salvation demands or depends upon total obedience to the letter of the law. Examples of legalism include an excessive concern for the minute, minute details of the law coupled with a neglect of its fundamental concerns, meaning the heart aspect, and a preoccupation with human legal traditions. I'll say it again. The belief that salvation demands or depends upon total obedience to the letter of the law. Examples of legalism include an excessive concern for minute details of the law coupled with a neglect of its fundamental concerns and a preoccupation with human legal traditions. This is the stuff that Jesus hammered the Pharisees on all the time. Jesus accused them of washing the outside of the cup, meaning they look good on the outside. But they neglected the inside of the cup, meaning their hearts were evil. 
And Jesus harshly rebuked the Pharisees for putting impossible demands on people to achieve being right with God. When they themselves could not fulfill those own demands. That's why Jesus called them hypocrites. You see, here's a bunny trail. A true hypocrite is a... Is, um, a person who expects or demands that someone behave in a certain way that they themselves have no intention of behaving. That's what a hypocrite is. Because don't you just love it when people in the world go, oh, that church's full of hypocrites. I saw brother so-and-so smoke a cigarette down 7-Eleven. He goes to your church, don't he? Yeah, he does. And if you knew the other stuff he's dealing with, Wow. I know, full of hypocrites. That's why I don't go to church. The, see, the, the person who's saved, who's trying to pursue God, but keeps failing and, and sinning and falling down, but keeps getting back up and trying and keeps showing up, they're not a hypocrite. See, what a hypocrite does a hypocrite says, you know, you should attend church regularly, and then they don't go to church. <coughs> a hypocrite would say something like, oh yeah, you should tie 10% to your local church, and then they don't give 10%. That's a hypocrite. I expect you to do something that I don't have any intention of doing. So anyway, thank you, sir. Whoever gives a cold cup of water to the least of these <laughs> will be the greatest in the kingdom. <laughs> so anyway, that's a bunny trail on hypocrites, but legalism is real, and it's out there. And it's in here sometimes. I won't pretend we don't touch it. Now, what is a religious spirit? A religious spirit is a demon that wages war against the grace of God in our lives. And it wages war against the, the acceptance of Jesus' work being the true fulfillment of God's covenant between God and man. Say it again, a religious spirit is a demon that wages war against the grace of God in our lives and acceptance of Jesus' work as true fulfillment of God's covenant between God and man. And again, we see this at work in the Pharisees in the Bible. And, you know, <clears throat> the religious spirit many times is responsible for legalism. Or religious duty. It, it's the, the spirit is it's responsible for, for trying to get us to earn what God has already given us. Be like me coming to your house and saying, man, there's a car in the driveway. I, I, I got a good price for it. And I'm going to sell it to you real cheap. And you go, wait, that's my car. Well, not really. I'm just going to lie and say it's mine and try to get you to pay for it again. We believe that. That's how we live all the time. You don't realize how bad we live this way. We don't live under the true meaning of what grace is, is all about. And that's what that spirit does. It tries to get us to earn what we already have. So legalism and religious spirits, they are real, and they are deeply affecting the capital C church. So again, what happens in our charismatic, you know, Holy Spirit-loving churches like ours, you know, churches like ours that they promote freedom and they celebrate freedom and they fight for freedom and we train other people to get other people free. What happens is, in that freedom, 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 some people get hypersensitive to legalism. 
In fact, they actually get very religious about finding religious spirits. And because they call anything and everything that has a boundary or a limitation or a standard or a requirement, because they call that legalism, lawlessness starts to slowly creep in and choke out important messages like living holy. So I have to bring some real clear definition between what is true freedom and this kind of version of Christian lawlessness. And we should all be very, very concerned with the effect of lawlessness. If you haven't noticed, you know, lawlessness is sweeping our nation. Every single day, we see people burning, stealing, and destroying property. People are becoming increasingly hostile to any and all forms of authority. Police, teachers, parents, the military, government leaders, they're all being attacked and disregarded as worthless facets of our society. And at the heart of lawlessness is rebellion. No one wants to be told no. No one wants to have any kind of boundary imposed upon them. No one wants to be denied. And it is the spirit of rebellion that manifests in lawlessness. And it's creeping into the church. As a matter of fact, rebellion has been the problem of God's people since God chose them. I mean, let's, let's be honest. We get it honest, right? It's part of our fallen, our fallen nature. Ever since God chose his people, his people have been resisting being told right from wrong, good from evil, for millennia. We want every pleasure, every benefit, and we will not be denied. We demand every right while forsaking much of our responsibilities. Now again, I told you I'm going to diagnose this thing, and I hope you got your steel-toed boots on. I really believe this is a foundational thing that we've got to get a hold of. Because if you, you know, if you think lawlessness is not here, in our little neck of the woods. And I'll step on some more toes here, but, you know, watch the face of a parent when I tell that chi- their child not to play on the stage. Don't play around the instruments. Don't, don't run up and jump and don't do that, please. Just, just watch the face of their parent. Yeah. Watch the face of people when I tell them, you know, please don't be in the sound booth if you're not a sound tech or a video tech. The indignation that shows up. <laughs> How, what? What? Why? If you don't think it's here, I, I can just point it out for you. Why, why are we like that? Because we don't like boundaries. We don't like hearing no. I want to do what I want to do. I want to go where I want to go. We don't like limitation. And, and because we get to decide what's right and wrong. You know, that's the problem is, you know, these people decide what's right and wrong in spite of the fact that they actually have no authority to decide. What's right or wrong? They don't get to decide what those boundaries are. The difference between true freedom and a freedom that has slipped into lawlessness is that true freedom is defined by boundaries. 
the very highest levels of freedom in Christ all have firm boundaries around them. Let's think about it this way. For instance, America is the freest nation in the world. And the reason that we are the freest nation in the world is because we have laws that govern and guarantee our freedom. And guess what a law is? It's a boundary. Freedom is defined by boundaries. Say that with me. Freedom is defined by boundaries. And if you didn't, there's probably rebellion in your heart. I saw some of your mouths not moving. Thank you. Thank you, religious spirit cop. So, so for example, for example, we are all free to meet in this building and worship God in whatever way we seem fit. And we can do that, why? Because the law guarantees the freedom of worship. We can walk around outside in our town with almost no fear of being shot, stabbed, or raped. Well, it's almost insignificant. I mean, seriously, not one of you would have a problem walking down Broad Street. I mean, honestly. Let's be real. Now, if you end up in certain neighborhoods looking for trouble, well, that's your fault. But mostly, almost 99.9999%, we're free to walk around with no fear that I'll be robbed, stabbed. Why? Because we have laws and we have someone who will enforce those laws. Has anyone ever tried to travel to a nation where the law of the land is it's illegal to kill people, but the police are corrupt and no one enforces those laws? Have you ever gone to one of those places? See, there's no real freedom in that place, is there? The people end up being confined to their homes, you know, like prisoners in their own neighborhoods. There's a reason our government uh, establishes travel bans to certain parts of the world. It's because in those parts of the world, lawlessness is completely out of control and there is no guarantee of safety. We are free because we have boundaries around our freedoms. And I want to say this firmly, like the word says. The prophetic word said, speak clearly and firmly. It is reckless and immature to think that no limitations and no boundaries are the same as freedom. You know, we think that as long as what I do doesn't directly harm or you know, hurt someone, then it's okay. You know, the absence of laws and boundaries and limitation is not freedom. It's called anarchy. Judges 17, verse 6 says this. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now, if you read the context of this scripture, and I encourage you to do that, if you read the context surrounding that, you will see that there was great evil happening in Israel. That there were some deeply sacrilegious actions going on in the nation. And the writer of Judges gives us the reason why. There was no king, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Freedom is defined by boundaries, 
boundaries can be defined as laws. Oh, and here's a, here's a word. Or rules. Oh, that's a dirty word for the religious spirit cops. <laughs> Again, it prospers no one to have a law or a rule when that law or rule does not get enforced. That was the problem with Israel in Judges 17. They had no king to enforce the law of God. Parents, what happens when you have a rule in your house that you never or rarely enforce? What happens? Two words, chaos and anarchy. And what happens to you as a parent is you end up becoming a powerless pawn in your child's manipulation. And then the really sad result is your child grows up to be a social justice warrior. A snowflake. Am I right? Thank you. Here's why. Because you practice child abuse by never or rarely telling your prince or princess no. I know it's good. Jesus says these things. They're in the Bible. Listen. When we make those little precious ones, the center of our universe, the center of our family life, everything we do, all our decisions, how will this affect little one? Do I do ministry? Oh, no, it'll infect this little one. Really? We have this, this really religious standard of how we decide what we do. It's called God, family, work, ministry. Always in that order. Guess what? That's a lie. It's God, then God, then God, and then God. Sometimes God will make you sacrifice family time to go help someone. Sometimes you won't work the overtime so that you could go be home with your family. Sometimes you'll tell it all no and spend the day with your baby and your little babies. You have to be led by God every single decision. Don't make some stupid artificial hierarchy your God. Make God your God. God, well, my, is it okay if I don't do family day or if I don't do kid time tonight? Is it all right? Yes, I'm calling you to do this. Communicate to your little guy. Let him know why. I'm following Jesus. It's okay. I'll make it up. But we put our, our little princesses and our princes in the center of our family and we make their comfort our number one priority. Let's say it again. It is child abuse to raise our offspring with no limitations or boundaries. God gives us a perfect picture of what it looks like to have a healthy parent-child relationship. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you were left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as they seemed best to them. But He, God, disciplines us for our good, that we may share in His holiness. Say that word, holiness. 
for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Do you see how we've got to get lawlessness out of our lives? Do you see that we have to deal with this so we can move into holiness? Because our image because of our immaturity, you know, we've twisted the meaning and purpose of freedom. And when that happens, freedom will mutate into lawlessness. Every person doing what they think is right in their own eyes. Let's think about it, even a couple of examples of how we twist freedom. For example, um, if I put a pornography filter on my router at home, which is a limitation, right? It's a limiter, isn't it? It's a boundary. It's a block. If I put that on my router as a limitation, as a boundary on my access, access to the Internet, so that me, my family, and I, we don't, we don't look at stuff we shouldn't be. We would all call that wisdom, wouldn't we? Oh, yeah, good job. I wish, wish we did that. However, if I uncover what I would say is a rule, maybe, a hard border, and I say to a young unmarried couple who... Um, passionately in love. Here's a rule. Never, ever, ever be alone in a home or apartment. Well, then I get called religious, legalistic. That's hard. Well, all the married people say that's wisdom. have to here's another one if I tell my child you can have one piece of candy and he takes five and no one else gets any candy what do we call that child selfish stingy right but if I tell an adult you've got five minutes to share your message or revelation that you received from God and you take 15 what do we call that Oh, we call the leader religious, and we call our messenger lad of God. Because in the spirit, we're free from limitations. We have twisted our personal freedom into lawlessness. And that version of freedom is selfish and it is immature. And we justify, you know, our actions with catchphrases like, God said. Wow, there's nothing I can do with that. God himself spoke to you. Can't challenge you, can't correct it, can't, it's just God said. So either I obey God or I'm a sinner. They love to say, you know, like I told you, I have to obey God, not men. Did you know there's only one place in the Bible that says that? There's only one spot. I have to obey God and not men. One place. I'll, I'll show you where it's at. Acts chapter 5, verse 27. And when they had brought them, meaning the apostles, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, meaning the name of Jesus. Yet here you have, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. This is the only place where this statement is made. 
And the only reason Peter, Peter made this statement is because the high priest of the synagogue is demanding that they stop preaching Jesus. The high, the high priest is demanding, he's virtually demanding that they deny the name of Jesus. Listen, when someone demands you deny the name of Jesus or stop talking about Jesus, you have a moral and faithful obligation to disobey. That is the only legit occasion for pulling out God told me I have to I have to obey God and not man that's it you don't find it anywhere else in all the New Testament there is not one scripture in all of the New Testament there is not one scripture that says you have permission to dishonor defy argue or grumble against God given leadership in a public meeting not one. So when we are in a public gathering at church or maybe in someone's home at a connect group or a small Bible study, your personal freedom does not trump the leadership of that gathering. Your subjective prophetic word, vision, message, teaching, leading of the Holy Spirit is to be always 100% submitted and subjected to the leadership of that gathering. And that is not legalistic or religious. That is the government of God. And we've got to grow up and get used to hearing no. Without boundaries, there is no freedom. If we reject the limitations and boundaries of God, we will not even be able to hear this message of living holy. Living set apart for the Lord. So, as I finish, here's a little test for you to take this week. To see how much true freedom or lawlessness is working in your life. I want you to take notice of how you react when authority gets applied in your life. Do you constantly question every authority that you encounter? Are you someone who obeys on the outside, but your heart is in rebellion on the inside? You know, how, how we respond to authority, whether it's a teacher, a parent, a boss, a pastor, a cop, even your spouse, both husbands and wives, you know, because we're mutually submitted, right? How we respond will tell us how much freedom we're really walking in or how much rebellion is secretly hiding in our heart. You know, it's sad to me how many people get married these days and can no longer say the vows of love, honor, and obey. I challenge you to use the words this week. I will obey. Is that stinging anyone even right now just hearing that? Just, just to say, I, I will obey. I challenge you this week to use the words, I will obey with someone in authority over you and see what it does to your heart. Try using the word obey without sarcasm. <laughs> oh, I got a caveat that one. Try using the word obey without sarcasm this week and see if you choke on those words. 
or see if you possess real freedom like, like Jesus had when he submitted himself to John the Baptist for baptism. And John's like, I know who you are. You're God. You, please, take my spot. And he says, no, I'm going to submit myself to you. I ain't fitting that all be accomplished. I'm going to put myself under your ministry and let you minister to me. Do you possess the maturity and freedom of Paul when one of the council members that he's standing before orders that Paul be punched in the mouth? And Paul starts yelling at him. How dare you? And then someone says, hey, Paul, uh, you're talking to the high priest, Ananias. And Paul, guess what he does? He backs down. And he honors him be just because of the man's position. How you relate to authority, even bad authority, reveals what's in your heart. So I'm asking you this week to take inventory of your heart. And when you discover that there is some rebellion and lawlessness, repent. Remove it. Deal with it. Allow the Lord to prune your life for more fruit. Amen? Let's pray. So Lord, we just we're, we just submit ourselves to you, God. We obey the leading of your Holy Spirit in our lives. I pray today, God, that we would uncover those dark places of rebellion and lawlessness that are in each and every one of our hearts. God, we all at some point rebel against you, Father. We rebel against those we love. And I'm asking, God, that you would be with, with just the mercy and tenderness of your heart, expose those, those areas and root them out so that we can even hear the message of holiness without calling it religious, without calling it legalism, God. Please help us this week, God, as we seek to follow your leadership in our lives. I bless us, God, in a way that this word stays in our hearts, that we hold on to it, that we ponder it, and we meditate on it, and we make it good use, good seed in fertile ground. We love you for your mercy and grace in our life, God. That you, you did it all. We honor you today for that, Father. We ask you for your help and your love to go with us this day. We bless you in Jesus' name. Everybody says, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful afternoon. We'll see you next week as we continue this message.